0: 1 Samuel chapter 4, we have a a really heavy study before us today. I don't know if any of you read ahead, but if you did, uh, you know what I'm talking about. You know, one of the things, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, uh, it happens every once in a while in my uh, house, uh, is I'll be walking down the hall, maybe I'll I'll, I'll turn left and go into the room, and then uh, uh, just out of nowhere, my son will say, boo, you know, he'll try to scare me, you know. (laughs) And it's so cool. It's so cool. I mean, you know how us guys are. We're like, cool, huh? We're like, yeah, you didn't scare me, right? And when, they, you know, it just works out that way, every once in a while they'll catch you off guard and you'll, like, jump. But um, most of the time my son says, man, how come I can't scare you, you know? And, uh, you know, I just, I got, I just I got, got lucky on that. But, um, you know, sometimes to be scared is, is kind of good. You know, I, I know that you might hear the news about uh, somebody, maybe the escape from prison. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Things are happening that you got to be on the lookout. Maybe this guy or this group of people are armed and dangerous, you know. And maybe, you know, you've heard things like that and you take that lightly and, and that can have some serious ramifications. And, you know, that's something that I think we can now bring into our spiritual life. Um, and, and that is that we, we have to fear God, you know, we must fear God. And I think that a lot of Christians and maybe some of you here today, the bottom line is the real reason that you are continuing maybe in your sin is because you do not fear God, you know, and it's like, you know, God's trying to scare you. God's trying to, you know, instill that fear in you. And you're like, huh? You know, you're not, you're not getting afraid, and I think you should. The Bible says, it says that we can perfect holiness in the fear of God. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what chapters like tonight are all about. We're going to see tonight that sin, you know, if we live in, in sin and, and we continue in sin and, and whatever it is, then, you know, that will lead to defeat in your life. If you continue in sin, that will lead to death. If you continue in sin, the worst of all to me is God will depart from you. And that's a heavy message, you know. And that's what we're going to see in our study today. Notice what we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 4. It says, And the word of the Lord came to all Israel. Uh, The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, that's interesting. Uh, Some people will say, well, that belongs in chapter 3. You know, we don't know what the Bible was was written. There were no chapters or verses. But uh, a lot of people will note this, that when the word of Samuel, it was the word of God through Samuel, came to all Israel, when God began to do a work, the enemy came in. So it's interesting. You might want to keep it in chapter 4. You know, the word of Samuel, came to all Israel. And so we read, it says right here, that when Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and they encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? We come now to the, the Philistines. In First and Second Samuel, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to find the Philistines 150 times. Uh, they've been around since the days of Abraham. But from what I understand, they migrated. Uh, they're in the coast right there. Um, as a matter of fact, we get our word Palestine from the Philistines. And, and what had happened was they had migrated from even Greece. They had chariots. They had weapons of iron. Um, they were a real formidable, formidable foe in the days of First and Second Samuel. Um, we see here that there was this battle that was taking place. It was in the, they, they, they mentioned Ebenezer which is 20 miles from Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle is, Eli is. And that's two to three miles away from this place called Aphek. And so they're about two to three miles away. And as they're there, what ends up happening, we don't know for sure. The Septuagint tells us that the Philistines started the battle. Uh, We read right here, we don't know for sure. Maybe the the Israelites did, but whatever happens, we don't know who started it. In the end, 4,000 men of Israel were killed. They were defeated, right? And so it was cool. The elders of Israel, they go back to the camp. And, and I love the question. Notice again there in verse 3, it says right there, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? You know, there's this rock, Ebenezer. It means, you know, help. You know, God help us. And and God didn't help them. and And they were defeated. And so I love the question. They come back and they ask, you know, why the Lord defeated them today. You know, the bottom line is, and for your life, I don't know if you've ever experienced a defeat. Maybe today you've experienced a defeat. You fell. You sinned. Maybe you've been sinning. You've been defeated. And, and do you ever stop to really ask God why? I think that's a great question. The Philistines knew it wasn't the good fighting, you know, that would would the Jews knew the good fighting of the Philistines wasn't what would give them the victory or the defeat. They knew it wasn't the choice chariots of the Philistines. The Israelites knew that the reason they were defeated was because God was not giving them the strength to overcome. They you know they knew ultimately that if the Lord would give them the strength they would win. Somewhere along the lines, they were walking in their own strength, and therefore they were losing. They were being defeated. And so they asked, you know, why this is happening. Now, you know, the word why isn't always the right question to ask. But when you're defeated and overpowered by the enemy and you fall on your face, I think it is a good question to ask why. You know, to search your heart. You know, Lord, why did this happen? You know, all we have to do is be honest and humble and broken before God in his word. And, you know, when you sin, maybe, maybe with your wife, maybe with your husband, maybe with your kids, maybe at your job, maybe with your friends, maybe when you're all by yourself and you sin, maybe you're on the freeway. I don't know where it is, but I know this, that sin will ruin you. And you got to really have that conversation with the Lord and ask him, Why? You know, if these guys would have asked the Lord why, I'll bet you the Holy Spirit would have brought to their remembrance what the Bible says. In Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 14, God said to Israel, but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. And then in verse 17, I will set my face against you, And you shall be defeated by your enemies. And so it was in the Word. Same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 25. It was in the Word. If you live a life of distancing yourself from me, forgetting me, you know, if you compromise in the small areas of your life and your devotional time, if you're not really in the Word and on your knees, you will be defeated by the enemy. You won't have any power in your life. You know, clearly the reason why God did not help them was that they weren't being obedient. They weren't observing his commandments. They were despising his commandments. They hated his covenant. As a matter of fact, it's interesting later in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9, they, the Bible says Samuel revealed they had forgotten the Lord. And they had despised his commandments. You know, I think that we know how it works. You know, how? You know, maybe you're playing basketball. Maybe you're watching a basketball game. I'll use that as an illustration. Let's just say you're, you're getting, you know, pounded, man. You know, they're busting threes. They're slam dunking. You know, they're getting all the rebounds. What ends up happening? The coach calls what? A timeout. He says, get over here. I need to talk to you, right? And he calls a timeout and he he says, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what they're doing. This is what you're doing. We need to make some adjustments here. Isn't that what they do? You know, when they call those timeouts, the necessary adjustments and corrections in order to do what? In order to, to get back in the game? In order to do what? In order to win the game? Well, that's the way it is for us. You know, we begin to compromise in these areas and it leads to greater defeats in our life. You know, for 4,000 men to die, for the Philistines to come and overpower them like that, they had to search their heart. The bottom line is they were defeated initially because they were living disobediently. And I think they had the right mentality to ask why. But here's the bottom line. The tragedy is they didn't wait for God to answer them. See, look again in verse 3. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And then they just jump jump into their decision. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Why Why were we defeated? Why did this happen in our life? You know, this, this crazy, you know, Massive, monumental thing that, that, that almost, you know, tore me away from God or from whatever it is, the calling on my life. Why did it happen? Oh, it doesn't even matter. I'm not even going to wait to hear from the Lord what the answer is. I got an idea. Let's get religious. Let's just do this. Just get the Ark of the Covenant. We'll bring it into battle, and then, you know, we'll be okay. And so I want to encourage you to know this that if you get defeated initially, and you don't listen to God, then you will be defeated severely. And that's what ends up happening next. We're going to see next. I'll give you guys a real quick preview that God is going to kill 30,000 Israelite, Israelite soldiers. God is going to kill Hophni and Phinehas. God is going to kill Eli. The, the, the wife of Phinehas, who was a godly woman, she would die And I think the the worst of all was the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of God would depart from Israel. And that's why it's so important, you know, for me, for you, that if we find ourselves, if we ever get defeated by the Philistines initially, if you don't want to get defeated severely, then you better listen. Lord, what am I doing wrong? I know it's not you, God. You're not the, you know, the cause of sin. Lord help me. Don't just run to the religious answers to the cliché things, to what worked for in the past, you know, that worked for Moses, that worked for Joshua, it'll work for me. You know, be really careful. What we find right here is that God would then defeat them severely. Why? Because they didn't return to the Lord. They did a couple of things that a lot of us do that lead only to further defeats. Number 1 was a superficial spirituality. Again, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. And so the people said to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. You know, rather than just... Coming clean. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here have houses that are dirty? Just out of curiosity. And you need to clean, man. You're like, hey, it's becoming a jungle over here, you know, and you gotta do some dusting, some scrubbing, you know, maybe some toilets are dirty. I don't know. You know, it's just got you got things that just need to be cleaned, you know? And, And and I guess in one sense, that's kind of the way it is in our life. There's some things that just bottom line that haven't been cleaned in a while, that you've got to get down and dirty, you got to go and you've got to scrub, and you've got to ask God for the grace to start cleaning house in your heart. In your heart, Proverbs 22, verse 11, it says, He who loves purity, the king will be his friend. You know, And the Lord has really been ministering to me that verse because, man, I want purity in the deepest recesses of my heart. When God looks with His eyes of omniscience and He sees everything that I am, to the deepest part of my heart, I want that to be clean. You know, sometimes you can be watching a TV show and there's a girl—it's a commercial. She's got cleavage. A lot of guys will want to look at that, you know. And you—and you're looking for that, you know. The wife, you know, she puts her hands over your eyes and you're like trying to see between the fingers or whatever, you know. It's—it's—it's. It's, it's, we got to get clean to the core, hate that, look away. So, you know, we got to turn the TV off sometimes. I'm telling you that God sees all of those things, every single one of those things. And if you're a Christian man or, you know, sometimes it's a girl too, some of those commercials, right? Guys in, in underwear. I mean, this is it's, it's crazy. And then you're feasting on that? God wants us to be pure in our heart. And all I'm saying is this that, you know, if He deals with you, if we're defeated, you know, initially, we're going to be defeated severely. And and the way that we return to the Lord is, man, we've got to repent of all those things, those areas of our life that are dirty, that just need to be cleaned up and be surrendered to God. You know, rather than repenting of their sins, returning to this relationship with God. What did they do? They went and they got religious. It was this relic of religion, the superficial spirituality. They went and got the ark of the covenant. You know, and you guys know what that is, right? The ark of the covenant. Most of you here do. It was that it was the place in in the holy place where they would have the ark of the covenant. It wasn't that real real big. It had a couple of golden cherubim was all overlaid with gold. And within the Ark of the Covenant, they had, you know, the jar of manna. They had the rod of Aaron that budded. They had the tablets of, on which were written the Ten Commandments. And it says that right there in the middle, there was the two cherubim. There, the high priest would go in once a year when he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. It was like the most, the holiest piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And there, the Bible says God would meet with them. And it was there, the Bible says, that that was God's throne. But it was just a piece of furniture. It would be like you saying, you know what, I'm going to go to Calvary Chapel today, and I want the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to steal the dove. All right? And I'm going to take it home with me so I can have the power of the Holy Spirit, right? What a joke. What a joke, huh? I mean, that right there, you know, it's just, a, it's just a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit that we so desperately need in our life. And for me to say, well, I'm going to take that dove into battle. I'm going to go home. And this dove, I'm going to put it between me and Shelly. And you know what? I'm not going to sin with her, you know? <laughs> How stupid. I mean, that's what that, that was their mentality. They got religious. They got the relic. And what ends up happening, man, a lot of times I think we do that in our superficial spirituality. You know, that's where they were. Notice what it says right there, this two-letter word. Again, in verse 3, Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us. It. They were looking for the it. It. God's not an it, huh? God's a who? God's a he. But here we see this two-letter word was where their trust was. I mean, if there was ever a relic that could save you in battle, this would be the one. But that's not the way God operates. How many of you here were Catholics before you were Christians? Just out of curiosity. And how many of you here used to wear the scapular? You guys remember the scapular? I saw a kid wearing it the other day. You guys weren't even good Catholics, huh, man? (laughs) And if you were a good Catholic, you'd wear that scapular. And supposedly, from what I understand, if you were to die with the scapular on, then you would not go to hell, right? And so, man, let me tell you, I wore the scapular, man, you know? I had trust in the scapular. You know, some people, they hang a rosary on their rearview mirror in the car, in their vehicle. They think it has the power to keep them from getting into an accident. How many of you here, before you were Christians, you were Catholic and used to do this, right? Make the sign of the cross. And you know if you do it right, it's amazing, man, the way this is. The superstition of everything. You take the three fingers. I don't know if you guys ever did it right. You probably weren't good Catholics. Henry told me he wasn't a good Catholic man. The thumb, the index finger, the middle finger, that was symbolic of the Trinity. You take your ring finger and your pinky finger, you put it on the palm of your hand. That was symbolic of the human nature of Jesus and the divine nature of Jesus. And then you start from the top and you go down. Why? Because Jesus descended. I mean, it's a crazy thing. Jesus ascended. He died. And then, you know, you kiss. I mean, it's a crazy thing, right? This superstitious belief. Let me tell you something, man. God is not interested in people, you know, making the the sign of the cross. God is interested in people who will take up their cross and deny themselves and die on the cross, right? But we get so interested in all these other things. It's so superstitious. You know, when I was thinking about this whole thing, I was thinking about... Oh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that these guys, and he didn't have real love. And and by that, I mean real love for God, real love for people. It was just a bunch of noise, sounding brass, clanging cymbal. That's all it is when it's not real. Be so careful that we don't become a superstitious people. You know, I I know tomorrow's Friday the 13th, and I was going to warn you guys, you know, don't go anywhere, you know. I'm just joking. You know, you got to be so careful because a lot of times we bring that stuff even in to the Lord's house. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said this. He said, Beloved, when you are worshiping God, shout if you are filled with holy gladness. If the shout comes from your heart, I would not ask you to restrain it. God forbid that we should judge any man's worship, but do not be so foolish as to suppose that because there's a loud noise, there must also be faith. Faith is a still water. It flows deep. True faith in God may express itself with leaping and with shouting. And it's a happy thing when it does. But it can also sit still before the Lord. And that perhaps is a happier thing. You see, what ends up happening is these guys, they get so excited. Look at verse 5. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. They were so excited, right? And so it says in verse 6, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. And so the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And so they said, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews that they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. And so the Philistines fought and Israel was, there's that word again, defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. See, I, I, man, you know, I don't know what this means in your life. You know, I think for all of us here, it's it's just something different. There's things that God wants us to do. There's enemies that come against us. Um, there's a, a, There's a mission. There's a call. There's a family. There's a flock. There's... There's so many things, and and we just get keep, we just keep, keep getting beat up and defeated. And God says, "Listen, you know I, I'll let you lose, I'll let you fall on your face, but here's the way that it works: when you fall on your face, get on your knees, and ask me why. Why I let you fall like that, and if you listen." I'll give you an answer why. And I'll tell you the specific areas of your life that need to change. And I will show you what to do. I will change your heart and give you the will to do it. I will give you the power to do it and the wisdom that's necessary. I'll give you everything if only you understand that your sin needs to be hated. You know, you need to be we need to learn this. The Bible says that these things are written for our own admonition. 1 Corinthians 10 says, you know, these things are written as our examples. We need to take heed. If We think we stand lest we fall. You know, sin, it, 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 it brings defeat. Sin, it brings death. And that's a crazy thing. In verse 2, we read about the death of 4,000. In verse 10, we read about the death of 30,000. In verse 11, we read about the death of two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. In verse 18, we're going to see the death of Eli. In verse 20, we're going to see the death of the wife of Phinehas. You see that, that death is what sin brings. And that's why it's good to have a healthy fear of God. You know, I've shared with you guys before that we need to have the love of God. That's the primary motivation. But never lose the fear of God. Because I'm telling you this right now. Sin will bring defeat, 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 defeat in your life. And you will lose in the end. Sin will bring death. Death to your life. You read the Bible. How many times did people die because of sin? You know, a lot of times we don't connect the dots, but I think we really should. And it's those little sins, you know. You may think, well, I'm not addicted to drugs anymore, and I don't drink anymore. You know, but it's those little sins. You want to know why? You want to know why? Because those little sins, there's no such thing as a little sin. You want to know why? Because it separates you from, from God. That's why. You know, there's a really good book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And he writes in the book, it's a, it's a demon writing to his, I think it's his nephew demon. And they're, you know, they're strategizing together, right? And so this is what the demon says. He he will He says this, You will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, You're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to keep the man away from the light. Murder is no better than cards if cards do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Because in the end, what is it? It separates you from God. This is a relationship. This is not a religion. This is what we preach and teach every single time. And this is why we got to love purity of heart. See, every area of our life needs to be surrendered to God. One guy said this, sin has ruined men, ruined women, ruined angels. Sin has occasioned every tear of sorrow, every sigh of grief, every pang of agony. Sin has withered everything that is fair, blasted everything that is good, made bitter everything that is sweet, dried up springs of comfort, Rolled far and wide, tides of sorrow. Sin has digged every grave, built every coffin, woven every shroud, enlarged every cemetery that the world has ever seen. Sin, sin has done all those things. That's why we must hate sin. One guy said this, A.W. Tozer, sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. A moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on his own throne of his own selfhood, and from that elevated position, the person declares, I am. That is the sin of its consecrated essence. Every time we sin. You know, and that's why we have to, you know, understand, you know, I think the fear of God, you know, it leads to defeat and it leads to death. You know, it's the wages of sin, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is is death. You know, it's not that God's trying to take away your fun, but it's just the wages of sin is death. The death of a dream that God had for you. The death of your family. Family. For some of it might be the death of your marriage, the death of your ministry. Sometimes it's physically, sometimes it's eternally. Sin always leads to death. We have to have that link. You know, the 4,000, the 30,000, the two sons of the high priest, the wife of Phinehas, Eli, they didn't have to die if only the people, and especially the religious leaders, would have turned and return to the Lord. You know there might be some people here today that are thinking, you know what I'm so sure. God's not going to kill anybody. We're not going to die. Nothing's going to die. And you want to know something? If I could just say this, if you're here tonight and you're thinking, you know what, dude, you know you're exaggerating about sin. God's a gracious God. You know what? You need to get into the New Testament. We're not going to die. We're not going to die. Surely you won't die. You want to know who you sound like? You sound like the devil. Because that's what the devil told Eve. Eve said, he said, well, I'm not supposed to you know, eat it. She said, touch it. And the devil said, surely you won't die. She died. That's why we have to fear the Lord. You know what sin does. We have to understand that we must live a life of obedience. Understand this that sin and death are Siamese twins. Ezekiel 18, verse 4 says, The soul who sins shall what? Die. Remember Moses' words in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 I'll call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that have set before you life and death. Life and death. Life and death. See? Proverbs 11.19, as righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Proverbs 12.28, in the way of righteousness is life and in his pathway there is no death. Proverbs 13.14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Hate sin. It leads to death. Death of so many things. Unnecessary death. You know, a real good verse. You might want to mark 1 Samuel and go over to the book of James. Chapter 1. And look what it says in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. You know, when you sin and you blow it, don't blame God. Okay, don't blame God. Don't blame anyone else either. Oh, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my situation. I don't have to know your situation. You can't blame anybody else when you sin. He says right here, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what his own desires and enticed. Then, when sin has conceived, it gives birth to. And then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full-grown, that's 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 the repeated, insistent, consistent, persistent sin. When it grows up, it brings forth what. Death, it kills you. All the things that God wanted to do in your life. And, and how many times did he warn you? How many roadblocks did you run past? How many red lights did you run? And God says, it, it killed you. It brings forth death. And So in verse 16, he says, do not be deceived. My beloved brethren. I'm telling you this right now, you guys. You know, you don't have to sin. If you've ever, you know, have a mentality, maybe you're like one of those people that say, you know what, man, I'm a fallen creature, man. You know, and it just, you know, we're all going to sin. You know, come on, chillax. Kick back, Cracker Jack. Some people are like that, right? They take it so lightly. And I'm telling you this right here. You don't have to. You don't have to. I don't care what you've gone through growing up. You don't have to. We don't. What we need to do is to come back to the fear of the Lord, man. And this understanding that fear leads to defeat initially and then severely. That it leads to death. And we see that here. We're going to see that as we go through. And then it leads to departure. Back in 1 Samuel It says in verse 12, Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. So this guy ran from the battle. He ran about 22 miles. That's a long ways. And from what I understand, it's all uphill. And you know what's interesting? According to Jewish tradition, you know who this was? Saul. We don't know for sure. But anyways, that's what they say. It says, now when he came, there was Eli, remember the high priest, sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of the tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. And then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle. And I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? And so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And here it is. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, he was obese, and he had judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law Phinehas' wife was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about that time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God had been captured, and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. You know, some people in reading that right there, they they think, you know what? She seemed like to be like the only, only godly one. You know, um, that she was she wasn't interested in the in the in the dove. She wasn't interested in the in the ark as a as a relic, as a superficial sign of spirituality. What was she interested in? The glory of God. The glory of God. that right there scares me that right there fears me is that you know it brings fear to my heart that it, you know if i take sin lightly you know it brings defeat and yeah that's a bad thing you know but but you can kind of you know survive that and it brings death you know yeah that's a bad thing you know and, and i suppose you guys hopefully you go to heaven when you know the lord but, but to me the worst thing of all is that with the, the glory of god would depart. You know, when you see a great movement of God and this massive building, which God did like this amazing work, and then it's an empty shell. When you see this guy named Saul, anointed by the Lord, gifted by God, and then he just continues in his sin, and the lesson is, one day, you know, like Samson, Saul, God left him. God left her. The glory of God departed. You know, and and maybe, you know, some people, you know, they still they still go and but just the glory why because they were they continued to live in sin. You guys know the story of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. Eli honored his sons more than he did the Lord. They despised the commandments of God. They weren't that big of a deal to them. They didn't want to really have like purity of heart. You know, they took sin lightly. What ended up happening? Well, eventually the day came. God said, it's coming, it's coming. Please change. Please change. Please change. Please change. They never did. And eventually, you know, Eli, he was fat, probably because eating all the meat, remember? <laughs> He's ripping off the people, and this is an awful thing. He didn't even really care about his sons too much. Oh, your sons are, de- are dead. Oh, well, just tell me about the ark, you know? And again, I don't know for sure about Eli. i read a lot of commentaries. Some people think maybe he is in heaven. We don't know. You know, I don't know, but I do know this. He didn't honor the Lord. And in the end, what ends up happening was he was defeated. He was killed. And he was the cause of the glory of God departing. You know, we, I think, have a lesson. And I I just want to close in this. In just having that hope and that understanding that we would really fear the Lord. Let's go over to Psalm 78 in which we see a commentary on this. Look what it says in Psalm 78 in verse 56. It says, They tested and provoked the Most High God, did not keep His testimonies, but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. For they provoked Him to anger with their high places, moved Him to jealousy with their carved images. And when God heard this, He was furious and greatly abhorred Israel. So he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh. And it's interesting, according to Jeremiah 7, he wiped out not just the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, we're going to see later in chapter 5 and 6 that God still defends his glory with the Philistines. It comes back to Israel, but it never goes back to Shiloh. never goes back to Shiloh. The tabernacle's gone. It says right there, the tent he had placed among men and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He also gave his people over to the sword and was furious with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given in marriage. Here it is. The priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. It's crazy, huh? What ends up happening. You know, I read a story. How many of you guys have heard of that guy, Malcolm Muggeridge? You got nobody? Man, you guys, we got to start reading more, huh? The book of the month again, man. Well, this guy, Malcolm Muggeridge, Mulkeridge, he, uh, he became a Christian late in life. And um, uh, he was a journalist, took him all over the world. And when he was a young man, he said that he was in India uh, doing a story. And one day he was in the river. And, uh, and he said that while he was in the river, um, a lady came and uh, she was there and began to bathe. And he said, up to that point in his life, he said, I, I never, you know, was unfaithful to my wife. Uh, I think her name is Kathy. You know, I, I always overcame this. He said, but at that moment in time, he said, I was just overwhelmed with temptation. And so what he did is he began to to, to just, it just, man, it just consumed him. And, and he was just going to dive into this sin. And and he began to just swim vigorously across the river and it, it's an interesting story, true story. Says that you know when he eventually got to this woman, it, it, it says this, the story says that when he saw her, she turned around and she was this old, wrinkled, leprous. Um, she smiled at him, you know, no teeth. I mean, just just he basically said she was a hideous, hideous creature, and uh, and so you know he ran back. Away, <laughs> and and he was saying he said this and he said in the end I found out that that wasn't her that was me that was my heart and he said you know um, that's what sin is I mean you know it looks so pretty and so nice and, and we fall prey to it and what ends up happening? It's so hideous. It's the devil's way of ruining our life. And that's why we have to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. You know, I want to close with one more illustration because I I think it kind of proves the point as well. This guy, Gary Richmond, he was a former zookeeper. And he explained that raccoons, that what they do is they go through a granular change at about 24 months old. And after that point in their life, they often attack their owners. And so Richmond, he had a friend, her name was Julie, true story, who owned a pet raccoon. And since, you know, a thirty pound raccoon, I don't know if you guys knew this, could could take a hundred pound dog in a fight, he felt compelled to warn her, to warn her of the coming change. But she said this, Ah, it'll be different for me and she said with a smile. And she named her Raccoon Bandit. She said, Bandit, he wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't do it. But sure enough, three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. And in the end, what we find is this, that sin too often comes dressed in an adorable guise. And as we play with it, You know, it's easy to say it's going to be different for me, but it never is. Hate sin. You know, I wish I could scare you. You know, I wish I could say, boo, (laughs) you know, and you would have the fear of the Lord. But I think we have enough stories here, enough illustrations here to just bring us to that point, I think, of just absolute surrender, man. Absolute surrender. Because what does this sin do? Number one, it defeats you. It defeats you initially and severely. Number two, it brings death. Death, death, death. Death of everything. And then number three, it brings departure. And to me, that's the worst one of all. Where you and I, through our consistent, insistent, persistent sin, would drive God away. I pray that we wouldn't do that, you guys. We need to have a heart of obedience, you know. And if you're here today, maybe you're living in sin and, you know, you've been struggling, whatever. I want to close with John chapter 8. You read that story when you go home today. And they brought a woman. She was caught in adultery. And they said, you know what? We, we need to kill her. We need to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? That's what the law says. And what did Jesus say? You know, writing on the ground, you know, exposing their sins. Eventually they split. And eventually it's just him and her. It's just him and her. And so she, you know, is there. Jesus looks at her and she, he says, Woman, where are your accusers? Doesn't anyone accuse you? Condemn you? And she said, No, Lord, I guess none do. And what did Jesus say? Well, neither do I. But, what did he say? Go and sin no more. And that's what the Lord is saying to us today. Heavy warning. I pray you would hear those words. Go and sin no more. Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word. And it's a tragedy, Lord, in reading about the defeat and the death and the departure, Lord. I pray that we would have a healthy fear of God. I pray that we would know your love and your forgiveness and you are the God of the second chance. But I just pray that we would not despise your commandments. I pray that we would, Lord, know that this covenant that we have with you is a beautiful, amazing relationship in which, Lord, we have been given everything we need to overcome, overcome the temptations, overcome the sin. I, Lord, I pray that.